Happy last month of the year. And of course, happy holidays, etc., etc. All the best wishes to everyone, whatever everyone says. Welcome to Talk Raising to Me with me, Naomi Tucker. This week's show was once again very different of all the others as we are looking ahead towards the 147th running of the Kentucky Derby. The 1st of May is less than five months away. I mean, with everything that has preoccupied us, it's easy to forget that within a matter of weeks, we will be full steam ahead into the road to the Kentucky Derby. I'm saying this later on as well. It truly is one of my favorite run-ups to any race in the world. With the first of the future wager pools having come and gone, who better to discuss the horses to look out for, the best strategy to adopt, and so much more, than Twinspire's own expert handicapper, Ed DeRosa. His official title is Director of Marketing for Bloodstock Research Information Services, and he joined Churchill Downs Incorporated in 2011, following nine years as a writer and editor with Thoroughbred Times. I'm just so happy that he's found a time to join me today on Talk Racing to Me. With Churchill Downs being finished until 2021, I started off by asking him to reflect on a year like no other. My biggest takeaway, uh, it's just, you know, the, the, the cliche goes uh, racetrack family. And uh, I really felt that this year. Uh, I think we all came together, uh, even across corporate lines. I uh, thought the industry did a good job of sort of being unified and wanting to put a product out as safely uh, and as often as possible. And as my colleague Anthony Stabile says, uh, we never missed a day. Uh, Every day this year, there was at least one track running and the show went on. And I really take a lot of pride in the way we we came together uh, as a family and we're there for each other and we're safe for each other and took care of the horses even at tracks that were closed, et cetera. So that's definitely my my biggest takeaway from 2020. And, you know, thankfully it's a positive one. Uh, there's been a lot of negatives for people, uh, but being a part of the racing industry was, was definitely a positive this year. I fully agree. We were the only sport that was going throughout of this at all times, as you mentioned. So yeah, yeah. definitely yeah, big credit to everyone there. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, we, we had to move some things around. Uh, Belmont, Travers, Derby, Preakness, Breeders' Cup got to keep its day, but obviously a a much uh, smaller crowd than they would have hoped and some places never had fans, etc. But, you know, when you look back at the adversity other sporting businesses had to face, um, you know, among not the the major four sports, racing certainly was resilient and hopefully it'll pay off in 2021 with a larger base of fans who are ready to come out to the races. Yeah, let's hope for some excellent meetings coming up. I was actually looking at the um, 2021 schedule because, of course, um, Twin Spires has looked ahead and, you know, has scheduled uh, the normal kind of dates again for the Kentucky Derby, May 1st and then April 24th opening night. Are you hopeful that we're going to be able to adhere to that schedule in the year coming up? 
Uh, hopeful for sure. Uh, you know, the, the vaccine is obviously a pardon the pun, a big trump card. You know, if, if things go well there, have to hope that that everything will will be more open or adhering to ske- typical schedules, etc. Uh, you know, we had limited fans throughout most of November uh, to varying degrees, depending on if indoor spaces were open and things like that. And clearly people were ready to be out at the races the camaraderie, the gambling, et cetera. So th- there's definitely some pent up demand here in Kentucky. I can vouch for that a hundred percent and uh, nothing would make me and, and my colleagues happier to have as, as close to a traditional Derby week as possible come late April. Yeah, the only worry for me is, is that if we look ahead at those days, the normal triple crown schedule, that's about five months away, which is, incredibly quickly coming up and yeah i very much hope that the the vaccine is going to allow us to still resume in some form of normal uh, way but let's quickly discuss now turtle dance has finished you mentioned you work for twin spires how do your responsibilities shift when there's somewhat of a downtime in between the opening night again on april 24th uh, the, the big thing is still, you know, pushing people to get excited about betting day to day. You know, a lot of my time when Churchill's open is at Churchill, uh, but I'm I'm an Ohio bred. Uh, so I certainly have a, a soft spot for some of the smaller tracks. And I do enjoy playing Mahoning Valley and Turfway, Sam Houston. So uh, get to focus a little bit on those. Whereas when Churchill's running, you know, it's pretty much full tilt on the home team. Uh, but yeah, this, this time gives me a chance to, you know, get in touch with some of the weekday racing that I miss out on other parts of the year and uh, just working working with other tracks to get people excited about betting them. Absolutely. Well, let's get going on the reason I'm having you on here on this podcast. We're talking about the Derby Futures pool. The first one has just come and gone. And of course, Ed, we're all dying to know who your selection was in this first edition of the Antipost Wagers. Uh, so I, I can't, it's always, a, it's kind of tricky because I came into uh, the week really liking Keep Me In Mind, who uh, was a maiden uh, before this week. And uh, I thought he'd be the right price. The tricky part, of course, is he was racing this weekend. So if he ran well and broke his maiden uh, in a stakes, then that would hurt his price. If he didn't run well, then you kind of have to wonder, was he a derby horse after all? And as it turns out, he won. And I thought he looked good doing it. And even better for me is he actually finished close to his morning line price even after winning that race. So I I did bet. Um, I'm not always big on the individual entries, but I did bet, keep me in mind, to win the 2021 Kentucky Derby and uh, didn't mind 19 to 1 to do it. He already has uh, 16 points, I believe it is. Uh, that's typically not enough in a you know regular year. That was more than enough this year. But when dealing with the horse going into his three-year-old season, who already has 16 points, and uh, excuse me, uh, he has 12 points, pardon me. Uh, but, you know, I, I just feel like he's, he's on the right path, and I know that the trainer's hungry to be on that stage. So... I was willing to take 19 to one off the stakes win. And what is it that you look for in particular when looking at these individual entries for the pools? Because uh, the top choice here in that first pool was all the other 
three-year-old colts that possibly line up? So, of course, you're taking a, a slight risk in a way, but what is it that you would look for in a horse? Is it uh, lightly raced but still has gone the distance, the right connections? What, what do you prefer after all these years of, of looking at these future pools? I definitely want to see a horse who's run as fast as his peers or close to it. I, I'm a big believer that, uh, yes, we do see development from two to three, there will be horses who jump up, but when talking about, you know, the, the precociousness of these horses, like a Jackie's warrior, for instance, who ran some good numbers sprinting, uh, when there's a tail off routing, I don't like that, especially at a short price. I'm definitely looking for horses who, uh, you know, and I use, I use Brisnet. I'm looking for speed ratings and, and I'll look at Ragazin as well speed ratings that say, all right, they're already fast and development from that number is good enough to win the Derby because they are going to need to get faster. Don't get me wrong, but I definitely don't want just to use round numbers, you know, a, a horse who's won some races, but they're getting eighties. They're not suddenly next year going to be a hundred speed rating horse. Whereas a horse who's been getting 90, 95, can make that smaller jump forward and you would expect them to if they're going to win the Derby. So my starting point is I definitely want to see them fast already, uh, which, which sounds kind of obvious, but it's incredible when you go through the list. Uh, I mean, there's just some horses not as fast as the others and they take money every year. Well, you definitely have to highlight those for us in a second when we <laughs> go over the list. Um, as we are, as I mentioned, we're going to go over a few of the others, but through the grapevine, I heard that you keep a sort of like a running Kentucky Derby prospect list. When do you start this? And I'm assuming this is a year round kind of activity. The moment that the Kentucky Derby is finished, you start a new one, new list. That's, I'm that's assuming. right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I kind of have it ready to go. Uh, this year was obviously a, a lot different because we had more two-year-old racing than ever before when the Derby was completed, uh, being in September versus May. Uh, so, you know, a lot of times I will say it's, it's kind of gimmicky, just, you know, well, derby, time to turn the page. And, you know, it's something fun to, to talk about for a few minutes on social media. Uh, I, you know, in May, we're looking at big sale price horses. You know, I'll pick an Ohio bread just because that's where I'm from. You know, just just kind of to say it's thinking ahead. This year was a little different, like I said, because we had more two year old racing. Uh, the grade ones were coming up at Delmar and Saratoga. Um, you know, we saw some performances at Churchill. And in fact, uh, my first listed this year did have a central quality number one uh, after he broke his maiden on Derby Day. So even though I already had a few names, I thought he looked so good that day. Um, I just I just put him up at number one because uh, I thought he looked spectacular on debut and he's, he's obviously looked good in his other two stars. I was going to say, that was a good pick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, the, the struggle though is he was eight to one, I think in the, uh, the future wager that closed and I'm not going to bet him at eight to one in November. Um, so even though, you know, I liked him way back when, uh, unfortunately I, I haven't really been able to turn that opinion uh, into any equity but, you know, still bragging rights, I guess, if I get it right from the get-go. Uh, but you know, I'm always looking. I'd rather make good bets than uh, good opinions. Yeah, that sounds like a horse plays advice indeed. <laughs> the favorite the end, the favorite that came out of this first pool was all other three-year-old Colts. Uh, six to five took about $67,000 into that pool. What kind of horses 
can we expect from that? Do you have any horses on your list that didn't make it to the individual selections? Or is this more uh, for everyone hoping that there's going to be another Justify coming up, you know, in the early start of the year? Yeah, I think Justify was, uh, I mean, he he completely proved me wrong. I've said it time and again. Uh, I thought, I really thought no horse would ever break the Apollo curse. Just the my thoughts on the Derby and, and it kind of like and harkens back to what I said about wanting horses to be fast as two-year-olds and not, you know, not think they're just going to find Jesus just because they're going 10 furlongs and they have a route pedigree. I, I think good horses that win the Derby uh, are, are fast to begin with and, and Justify was fast to begin with too. He just got a late start. Uh, so I got, I got burned there, uh, but there's so many horses, Naomi, that, um, or just maiden winners to this point. And, the, you know, the, the nature of only picking two, 22 individual interests is you kind of got to balance the stakes horses already with maybe the up-and-comers, and, -comers and it, it can be tough to do. Uh, the I'm looking at my list. I think the horse I have highest that was not – no, he's on there. Red flag was on there. Uh, you know, the Ohio bred I mentioned earlier is Hipster who has run a couple fast races, he would definitely be one, I would say, add to your list to see what, what he's up to. Uh, is this horse on there? No, Known Agenda is another one that I liked uh, I liked quite a bit coming out of his maiden win. Um, so he was one, like, when you're thinking, if I want all others, are there some out there? And that's part of it, too. You, you want a few that you're excited about. I mean, you realize you're getting literally every horse who hasn't started yet even. So that's yeah. positive. But in the back of your head, you're, you're kind of thinking, okay, well, who who out there have I seen that's even in the mix for all of the three-year-olds? And, and the sire wager is good for that as well, of course, because you can, you know, maybe leverage your opinion on a horse who's not in the field and get a much better price in the sire wager than you would uh, betting all others. Of course, you get fewer horses, but if it's a strong opinion, I think that makes sense, and um, I'm pulling up known agendas, PPs now, just because I remember, I remembered being impressed. Um, yeah, he won a he won a maiden race uh, at Aqueduct uh, earlier. I think it was Sunday after the Breeders' Cup, and he's by Curlin, uh, who was definitely a sire I had zeroed in on this year as is a potential sire for this type of wager. Um, chased a fast pace and dug in. Uh, gamely to, to get the job done by a head and the number came back fast. So uh, known agenda of sort of the 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 other three-year-olds of which there are, of course, many, but he's on my top 10 right now. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, I just quickly looked him up as well. Trained by Todd Pleasure, of course, that helps. We know at least Todd can get them ready to go. Um, well, actually, quick question before we move on to some of the other horses that took a lot of money on the list, such as uh, the second favorite, Life is Good, who only had one start. Who actually creates um, these entries? As you mentioned, they have to single it down to 22 horses. Uh, who Who's on that? I would completely understand if you don't know. It's just a, a quick curious question here because it is a, a tricky one to do, isn't yeah. it, to assemble this list? Uh, so it's, uh, the, the, it's a mix of the Churchill Downs media team, which is Darren Rogers and Kevin Kirstein, and then Ben Huffman, our vice president of racing uh, slash racing secretary, uh, is is also on that panel with them and uh, you know all three of them have uh, you know connections with jockeys trainers etc and, and they definitely put you know put in the work beyond just the pps to 
uh, you know, make sure the horse is still in training, that they're actually pointing for the Derby. Now in November, you know, any two-year-old that runs well is, is kind of on the trail. Um, but you know, that, that extra leg work of, you know, feeling comfortable being able to call a Bob Baffert or a Todd Pletcher with sometimes some tough questions about, was this really a Derby horse? Um, comes in handy because the, the worst, you know, the worst thing with this bet, because there are no refunds whatsoever, no matter what, is, you know, a horse is on the list. And then two days later, he's out with an injury or, you know, they say, well, we're going to point to the Pat Day mile instead of the Derby. And, you know, you've wasted a slot. So, um, you know, it's, it's definitely more than just who are the good two-year-olds and then picking them. They, they put in some work to, you know, try to talk with these owners, trainers and jockeys about who's impressed them. Well, I love that you mentioned that every sort of two-year-old that has put in a good performance or a couple of good performances in the at the end of the year uh, ends up being in consideration for the Derby. But I feel like that is also the charm of the Kentucky Derby Trail, that everyone kind of has a chance if your horse has put in one or two good performance. I feel like that's very quintessential American as well. I mean, how much are you enamored with the Kentucky Derby Trail? Oh, it's definitely my favorite sports season of the year. Uh, and, and I grew up a, a big baseball fan, but, you know, being being immersed in the sport definitely hasn't pushed me away from it, even with my own personal time. Uh, I don't work a ton of Saturdays when Churchill's not running. I, I get my weekend fill when they're running. But, you know, obviously with the Derby points races almost every Saturday come January, um, you know, I'm, I'm very much plugged in and seeing how the leaderboard shaking out and which trainers are going where um, the jockey musical chairs. It's to me, it's actually a very underrated part of the sporting calendar. I think it should get more attention. Uh, the the storylines to me are better going into the Derby a lot of times than the ones coming out. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm definitely all on board the, the Derby trail and, you know, even outside the stakes, I mean, sort of what you mentioned, any, any two year old that runs well and, we're about to see it at Santa Anita and Gulfstream with the early three-year-olds as well. I mean, if, if Pletcher or Baffert win a, win a maiden race and look good doing it or Chad Brown or, you know, insert big name trainer here, you know, that horse is automatically on the trail and uh, it's, it's just fun to follow along. And, you know, the, you get a lot of underlays too, because people, they love betting Bob or whoever, and, you know, it's a chance to, to bet against some of these, these, uh, these hot two-year-olds. You can't see me because we're, we're just voice only, but I was sitting here nodding the whole way when you were talking because one of the things that made me fall in love with American dirt racing is the road to the Kentucky Derby, how everyone here is watching all these big preps as well as, as you mentioned, the maiden special weights. And you talk about it with everyone and, and there's like a hype and a buzz going into this that... I haven't experienced in any other country. So I agree with you. I think we should give it even more attention than we already do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's foreign for, for lack of a better word to a lot of us here. You know, I'm, I'm a little more used to it having covered international racing for thoroughbred times back in the day and, you know, just being aware of, of racing in the markets, but, you know, and as you know, in Europe, uh, a horse breaks its maiden and, you know, they could be as short as, what, eight to one sometimes for the Epsom Derby the next year, just off a five furlong maiden win in the summer. Uh, and then if it's an Aiden O'Brien trained horse who wins a, a group one is a two-year-old, forget about it. So, 
Um, you know, we, I guess we saw that a little bit with Life is Good, but, you know, it does seem like over there you're, you're sort of deprived that trail because they go on the shelf in September or October and then they're not seen again until, you know, the one prep before Epsom. And it's different. Definitely not saying anything wrong with it. But, um, you know, the, the way we do here, you get that nice pattern into the Derby. And really, it's sort of our only race left like that with how horses are so spaced out among the older set. So uh, it, it truly is a unique thing, really, in all the world, let alone the States. Yeah, I love that they have to run to gather these points to actually be able to line up in the first play. That makes it even first place. That makes it even better. But let's let's start with life is good. You've mentioned him a couple of times. One star wonder thus far because we haven't seen much of him except for his very very impressive win over at six and a half furlongs at Delmar, where he just went straight to the lead, strung out the field. He was never headed. I do know he went fast. Uh, the half was a. 44 and four, which is pretty strong, but I mean, it wasn't very far that he had to go. So I'm skeptical. He beat only four others, of which the second horse, Wiped the Slate, was also a first time starter. So to me, it doesn't say anything just yet. But you know, it's about Baffert and Mike Smith Road and yada, yada, yada. <laughs> All the pieces are there, obviously. Yep. I'm into Mischief, who just uh, won the Derby and Breeders' Cup Classic with the Bob Baffert trained authentic. Uh, he was one to five, so clearly the word was out. Not just a morning glory. Uh, there were only five other horses, but I mean, as far as debut goes, uh, I'm I'm fine saying he certainly lived up to the hype. I have a hard time saying any horse should ever be five to one to win a race this far out. And again, there's no refunds. It's not like if he doesn't make the gate, you get your money back. That'd be a different conversation. And, you know, Baffert had two very good horses last year, maybe great. I mean, you know, we'll never know with Nadal for sure. Charlatan's coming back, uh, mm-hmm. but ne- neither made the gate, um, you know, despite having more time, uh, they were unraced at two. Mm-hmm. So, and I sometimes, Naomi, think in reverse or the inverse when it comes to is, is a price good? Because if you're saying life is good, it's five to one to win the Derby, that's about a 16, 17% chance. And in my mind, you're, you're basically saying every other three-year-old, whether it's the, the other 21 individually listed or all those covered with the Phillies and the all other males, all those horses collectively have an 83% chance. And I, I can't wrap my head around that. Um, it just, it's, he's too overvalued. Um, which means there's wagering opportunity elsewhere. I, I can't ever imagine betting a horse at five to one. And I don't even like eight to one on essential quality who I like better anyway, but it, it seems in my mind, there's just a, a floor for me and, and a price is always going to be too low, no matter what. When you put it like that, it certainly isn't a very attractive prospect <laughs> at all. <laughs> so whoever bet life is good will now be sitting here going, well, thanks, Ed. Yeah. <laughs> at least, you know, it, it, it'll pay if he wins, but, you know, that doesn't always mean it's a good bet. And just talking racing in general, that that sort of inverse idea to me really comes into focus when you're talking about an even money shot because the math's easy. Public saying a 50% chance of winning, which – it's possible. There's definitely horses I've thought have had a 50% or even better chance of winning. But you're also saying that means the whole other field combined 
has just a 50% chance of winning. And sometimes, you know, 10, 11, 12 horse field, one even money shot means 10 other horses only have a 50% chance. And sometimes it works. But when you think of it that way, it really challenges you to say, okay, is this actually value? Yeah. And that's even taking into account that those are established fields that are most likely actually going to line up. This is multiple months out and you don't even know who's actually going to be in the field, making it even more of a turnoff for me. Uh, Essential quality, we've mentioned him a couple of times now. Of course, the Godolphin owned and bred redemption seeker of the Breeders' Cup Juvenile this year. Um, I thought you know, that was a, a great race, but he did get a very, very nice trip staying away from quite a decent pace there in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Yeah, and, you know, as it turned out, um, I, I think the Breeders' Cup playing to speed may be a little overwrought, um, especially based on what we saw Saturday. But, you know, at the time Friday, it looked like, man, speed, 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 and he came from off it. But that's kind of the trip you want. The mitigating factor was maybe the short stretch at Keeneland going to mile on the 16th. So could have potentially gotten in a jackpot there, but uh, overall based on the, the race, the race shape that he seemed to get the trip you would want. So I agree with you there. I also think though, he's shown the type of talent that he can make the trip that you want, you know, on debut, he was, somewhat mid-pack and ran on with it, um, winning by four. Then in the Breeders' Futurity, uh, he pressed the pace and was right there uh, before taking the lead and running away from them. And then had to make his biggest closing move yet, uh, granted into a fast pace, but still further back than we've seen from him. Uh, had to go wide and just didn't seem to phase him at all. So, you know, love the professionalism, love that we've seen three different trips from him. That, you know, in my mind is kind of what you would want in a derby horse that can face adversity and face a full field and win with any kind of trip. So I do think he's a more likely winner than life is good at this point. Um, But again, eight to one, a tad light for me. Uh, So, you know, unfortunately, it couldn't get down, even though I I respect him a lot. But I thought Tappet, his sire at six to one. Um, to me, if you like essential quality at eight, why not get all the tappets for just a couple points less? Um, still was too short for me, but I think the play was if you like the central quality was actually to bet tappet. That sounds like a quite, quite a sound investment to me. I, I like essential quality. As you mentioned, the different trips that he's had, uh, he's shown that he can stay the distance. He's got the right breathing, the right connections. Seems to be the entire package thus far. Um, as we'll move into some horses that are currently bigger odds when the first one of the pools closed, um, 18 to 1 was found on both highly motivated Chad Brown's horse and Jackie's Warrior. Um, let's start with highly motivated. Uh, one, impressively, last time out and before that, of course, Chad Brown, uh, very well conditioned. What do you make of him? Uh, I like him a lot, actually. Uh, I thought I was there uh, for the Nyquist, which was, uh, I believe that was Breeders' Cup Friday, the two-year-old day, and he looked awesome. And not really sure if it was the mud or just debut, six furlongs. Uh, Did just get beat um, on debut, but then, you know, took it to him and odds on, beat a next out winner uh, in his second start, and... Chad elected to keep him sprinting for now, um, which kind of 
feels like a, a Chad thing to do. Uh, you know, if it were great at stakes, he probably would have been willing to, to stretch him out. Uh, but maybe being out of a Warriors reward mare, some concern about a mile and a quarter uh, into mischief, of course, has eased those concerns thanks to Authentic. But, you know, talk about two horses going in different directions, highly motivated, and Jackie's Warrior uh, have converged. And in my mind, highly motivated is definitely the better contender. Yeah, Jackie's Warrior, two-time grade one winner, hopeful, and champagne. And then in the Breeders' Cup, Juvenile, he was right there the whole time, quite close to the pace. And then he looked very strong coming down the lane and then kind of, in my books, folded in that last half furlong, kind of just let them all run by him. But yeah. you say he is really going in the, to the wrong in the wrong direction? In my mind, uh, you know, there, there were distance questions going into the Breeders' Cup, and he certainly didn't answer them. Now, it was a super fast pace, so I don't want to give up on him at middle distances by any means. He, he kind of harkens back to what I talked about with, you know, I want to see horses who are consistently fast and getting faster. And yes, he won the, the champagne and I'm going to go against Brissnet's own speed ratings. Cause we, we gave that as fastest number of his career. Uh, but Ragazin had it as a step back. And then he took another step back going another half furlong in the breeders cup as the odds on favorite. And to me, I just don't see where this horse goes from here uh, that he's even in the Derby gate let alone a legitimate contender. So I, I was definitely against him at any price in this pool. Yeah. Well, the next one would have been, keep me in mind, at 19 to 1, but we've uh, discussed him at length at the beginning as being your pick and going in the right direction. Um, let's circle back to the first horse on the list, Caddo River, trained by Brad Cox. He's currently 27 to 1. A very impressive maiden score last time out. Was second on his prior two starts and worked very, very strongly coming into that last uh, event at Churchill Downs. I'm assuming you saw him on that day. I did, and, and he did look awesome. Uh, he was 3 to 10, and uh, before had been 5 to 1 and 3 to 1. So that always to me means he caught the right group for sure to be that short of a price uh, and, and not really sure what, you know, maybe New York just wasn't for him. Uh, clearly improved though. Absolutely blitzed this field. And I didn't get involved at that price, but you know, I, I could see where, you know, people looking for alternatives to the favorite definitely could have done worse than this one. Okay. Curly. 27 to 1 is what he closed at. Uh, I mean, we're moving into bigger, bigger prices. So a bit more, you know, sort of outside horses, one of them being Speaker's Corner, Bill Mott. I think looking at, because I have the um, Churchill Downs PPs, uh, the ones that, the Brisnet ones that were in front, and he was 50 to 1, but he ended up closing up at 29 to 1. Any kind of suggestions why that might be? Uh, no, I mean, that's definitely some decent steam for a future wager where, you know, the, the bulk of the money is on the field. Uh, certainly nothing to turn people away. Uh, I, I would say 50 to one's a lot better than 20 something, <laughs> obviously, but three to five on debuts, uh, you know, the, the barn must've liked them. People liked them, uh, next out winner in front of them, then two to one, uh, next out and beat Caddo river and had a bullet workout on November 25th, so the week of the, the future wager. So seems like things are going in the right direction for this one, and I haven't seen if Bill's pointing him to the uh, the Remsen or not, but we might we might get a quick 
quick look if uh, that late money is right. Yeah, that'd be very interesting to see him line up in that. Uh, the number four fire will close at 30 to one. Uh, a horse that has predominantly been campaigned on the turf. How often would we see horses that go long on the turf turn back and go towards a derby? Uh, you know, it's not impossible uh, and was kind of in vogue for a little bit there. Uh, Barbaro, Big Brown and Animal Kingdom on the space of, uh, what is that, five, six years. Uh, had run on turf um, before targeting the Derby. Uh, so, you know, by no means out of the question. Uh, declaration of war out of a kitten's joy mare, though. That, to me, definitely signals turf top and bottom. Yep. <laughs> uh, kitten's joy, he's had plenty of dirt runners uh, do well. You know, I kind of kind of rib social media about this. His, his numbers on dirt, percentage-wise, are right there with synth and turf. Where the big difference is, is with his stakes horses. His stakes horses just do not run to what we've seen on turf. Um, so that's a minor concern. Uh, the other thing, and we haven't talked about this yet, part of the future wager, to me, part of the game, Naomi, isn't just, okay, is this a good price for the Derby? You want to look at what they're expected to do over the next few months. There's another future wager I forget if it's the end of January, early February. There's three more opportunities for these. And there's no worse feeling than betting a horse at, let's say, you know, 10 to 1 in a future wager. And then the next one, two months later, they're 15 to 1 uh, because you basically lit money on fire. You took all that risk on for two months and got no equity for it, no bonus, so to speak. And fire at will kind of feels like that to me, even at a big price. Uh, I don't know if they're planning on a, a points race in January. Um, you know, he's 30 to one in the, the Breeders' Cup. So if, if he's sort of on the shelf or just sticking to turf for a couple months, he might be the same price in February. So he was a wait and see for me, not because I don't think the talent's there, even on dirt, just because I think we'll still get the same price the next time they offer this pool. Well, I definitely feel like we're trying to highlight horses that might be interesting for some of the pools as they come up. I, I have the schedule here. The second pool is end of January, January 22nd. The third pool is February 12th. And then there's another pool, pool four and pool five. Pool four is March 5th and pool five is March 26th. So I do think that's the last of the futures pool. So it'd be great to kind of as we're talking through these horses, highlight some of the horses that might benefit from a wait and see approach when it comes to these values, because there definitely will be some change, I'm assuming, as you just highlighted. So it'd be very interesting to, I mean, I think you make a very, very strong point here. What's the, why take a, a two month risk and gain nothing from it? So definitely a good point to make for, for handicappers that are looking uh, to make some money with these pools and to hopefully find some value to maybe wait for some of the other pools to come around because there's still a uh, four to come. Right. And, you know, we're going to see, you know, it's not the same 22 every time. So horses have to come in and out. We're going to see flashy maidens that might get in there. Uh, and that's, that goes back to life is good at five to one. Uh, I mean, even if he wins out, what is he in the next pool? Four to one. So even in that regard, like you're, you're taking on so much risk for, $12 instead of 10 in five months. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's the FOMO. People want to say they had it and 
uh, you know, maybe he's two to one on Derby Day and, and you can crow a little bit. But just overall, there's just so much movement and variables that it's hard for me to take those short prices. Yeah. I quickly want to get your thoughts on another horse in this pool, Hot Rod Charlie for Doug O'Neill, close at 34 to 1. Very game second behind the central quality in the British Cup Juvenile. That was quite the breakout performance for him. Yeah, that was uh, that was strong. And uh, I brag here, but I actually did like him a little bit uh, in the Breeders' Cup and, and picked him underneath the central quality. So, um, you know, 94 to 1, I, I feel like uh, I had a very good read on that race. From a derby perspective, uh, I, I don't like that he jumped up so much. Uh, he had not been all that fast. Uh, I only played him because he, or I, I liked him at a big, big price because he had come home fast in the Santa Anita, Santa Anita Maiden win. And it just seemed like maybe that many was putting it all together. So uh, contrast that with Keep Me in Mind who was also 20 to one on the morning line and went off closer to that off the win. But keep me in mind, had progressed somewhat uh, up to that Breeders' Cup. He had gotten faster with each start, whereas for Hot Rod Charlie, that was a big performance, you know, kind of, no one say out of nowhere, because he had flashed some talent when he broke the maiden, but he had been 0 for 4, or excuse me, 0 for 3 before that. Um, so that gave me a little bit of nerves, and, and I'm not really sure about Oxbow out of an Indian Charlie mare. So uh, I was content to, to stick with Keep Me In Mind, the third-place finisher from the Breeders' Cup versus Hot Rod Charlie. But uh, I, I think that's at the right price where I'm not going to quibble with anyone who wanted to take a shot. Yeah, and the number 14 red flag, you, you mentioned him before. You had him on your list. He made it onto this list, uh, trained by John Shuras. Uh, a nice impressive win in the grade three Bob Hope last time out on the 15th of November. It hasn't gone long either yet. Yeah, that, that, uh, my thinking was, okay, John Sheriff's one with the two-year-old going five and a half on the turf at Santa Anita. And then the horse comes right back, stretches out to seven and blows the doors off him at 10 to one. Uh, I just thought, okay, there's clearly talent here. Admittedly, a Spitestown sire, Tamar Cruz, who won the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile out of a stormy Atlantic mare. I can understand why they started this horror. Uh, he debuted on dirt, but I can understand why they went to turf as a two-year-old and maybe turf sprinting or, you know, races like the Driper are more this one speed. But 30-1 uh, to 1 caught my eye a little bit and uh, didn't end up playing them. So I did stick with Keep Me In Mind. And I, I don't like to spread out too much and use multiple horses. Uh, this early, but uh, Red Flag is definitely, uh, he's on my top 10, and he's he's one I'm keen to see what uh, John's able to do with, with this one going forward. be very interesting to see how he'll turn up in some of the other future polls if he, of course, stayed stays in and what kind of value we could expect from him. A horse that has perhaps a similar profile to Jackie's Warrior is reinvestment risk, Chad Brown. He ran second behind Jackie's Warrior twice in the hopeful, in the champagne. And then in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, very far away from that fast pace. But instead of running into it, like the winner did and Hot Rod Charlie did, he kind of went completely backwards. I don't know if you heard of any excuses that were given for him. Yeah, I, I didn't. And uh, I'm not sure I'd be interested in him anyway from a Derby Future standpoint. I, I did like the horse quite a bit. Uh, even coming out of the champagne, I, I figured being by upstart out of a candy ride mare, maybe an opportunity for 
him to improve. Uh, he didn't in the, the juvenile, obviously. And, and I would say I, I still like him better than Jackie's Warrior, uh, but I'm going to need to see it again in, in black type uh, before before I get on board because that, that juvenile just was not uh, was not good. No, it wasn't at all. Um, Ed, before we close this up, there, there are still a fair few horses in this pool, but I don't really want to go over all of them, especially as there are some that are even bigger that – 103 to one, I think is the biggest one at present. Yeah. <laughs> Super stock. Yeah. 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 If you'd have to give a handful of horses for people to keep their eyes on when it comes to these future pools, as well as just for the road to the Kentucky Derby, who would it be? Uh, definitely a central quality, uh, which, you know, goes without saying he's going to be the, the champion two-year-old, but I think that's, there's talent there. I'd be shocked if, uh, you know, he's, he's healthy and isn't hurt from late in the year. Um, you know, I thought midnight bourbon, his speed numbers aren't that great. And he sort of chased, you know, two horses that disappointed us in the breeders cup. I think there's some upside there that at 59 to one, um, I was somewhat interested in, uh, didn't end up pulling the, pulling the trigger, but, uh, pick and time, uh, we didn't mention, uh, is in my top 10, uh, was almost a hundred to one. Not really sure why, uh, coming out of a, a grade three, uh, he's by state thirsty, won the Travers. He's out of the Irish bred King of Kings. Um, certainly a, a distance influence there. Uh, I thought that was a ridiculous price and, um, you know, I, I put a few bucks on it. Uh, don't, like I said, don't like using a bunch, but you know, I, I had the 19 to one and to me 90 plus to one on picking time who has had some okay speed ratings uh, and is a graded stakes winner already um, was, was worth a look for a trainer who's not shy about being on the trail. Uh, so those are the three from here. Um, two of which we hadn't mentioned that I would want to mention. And then, like I said, known agenda uh, is uh is one who was not on here, who is, who is in my top 10 that I'm excited about. Well, I've made notes of all of these. So for people wanting to know these horses, I'm going to put this below the podcast in the description. Cause I definitely find them very intriguing, intriguing, especially picking time. Like you mentioned, 96 to one, that is, that's quite the value. Even if you just put a dollar on him to, to line up and, and do something possibly. Yeah, be, exactly. It's just fun, isn't it? Just you know, to say that you, you had a, a bit of a share or an interest in it. And my final question here before I let you go, coming from a European point of view here, I'm looking at these pools and I feel like these anti-post wagers allow betters to get better value on their runners, which nearly to me resembles those fixed odds that we see in Europe as when the pools close, the odds don't change. How do you see this? Is this, you think, the reason it was created the way it is? Yeah, it's a you know great opportunity to lock in a price. Unfortunately, with being paramutual, you don't lock it in when you bet, unlike uh, the anti-post where you're from. But, you know, you still close it out way far in advance of, of the Derby. And, you know, there's been some success stories. But admittedly, and I, you know, referenced this before, there have been situations where horses have paid more on Derby Day than they did in one of the future pools. Oof. And when you handicap these, part of it absolutely has to be, 
you have to think of trainer intent, where the horse is going, the likelihood they're going to lose. Because, uh, you know, we're a what have you done for me lately fan base here in U.S. racing and a loss, uh, people people abandon ship pretty quick. And, you know, if, if you think your horse, uh, you know, if you think you can get eight to one on Derby Day, there's really no reason to take 12 to one in February. It's just not worth it. So you you need to be aware of that sort of thing. But, you know, if you are and disciplined, uh, you can definitely make a nice score. But it, it's all about finding a, a horse that the public isn't on for sure. I feel like you've helped us with that for I sure. I hope so as well. And also, as you mentioned, I think that means that perhaps some of the later pools will be of more interest when we are getting closer to the Kentucky Derby itself. And we've seen a few horses already on the trail and maybe they've put in a couple of performances that things didn't go their way. And that means you can find some value and you actually get a a better price as well. And Ed, thank you so much for joining me here. I thought that was incredibly informative and I've certainly learned something here. Good. Well, that's that's the point. And I, I actually I I, uh, I learned something, too, every time I talk about it, because you force yourself to critically think about these topics and, um, you know, the risk of making myself sound crazy. But I actually find like this sound weird, but uh, like if you host your own podcast as you're handicapping, like even if it's just a 30 second talking through what you and I have to do anyway, so it's sort of rehearsal for me, but actually speaking out loud, the handicapping thoughts you're having of why you like or don't like a horse, I found have found that it's invaluable in terms of understanding a race or understanding why you would bet a horse or be against it. So, um, you know, your platform's great, but everyone can have their own platform in the privacy of their little handicapping study. And I'd encourage people that or playing the races to, to try it sometime. And uh, I, I found it's really helpful to talk through each race. I agree. I've actually sometimes by accident talked myself off a horse by actually speaking out loud why I thought I liked these horses and then realizing yep. maybe <laughs> maybe those opinions weren't that strong or not strong enough. So I have to concur that it does help to really formulate what you're thinking about a horse. Yeah. Ed, thank you so much once again. My pleasure. I sure hope everyone had their little black notebooks out to write down every single name, as well as betting strategies Ed has mentioned throughout this show. To help you out, you can find his selections in the show's description. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you learned something whilst enjoying the chat as well. Don't forget to tune into the In The Money Media's continuous content stream. Matt Bernier's weekly show, JK Plus One, has picked up the pace again. PTF never stops and always runs to form. Nor does Nick Luck with his stream of top-class guests and information. Spencer had the same guest, Ed, as me this week, which was a coincidence, but I will try not to hold it against him. I will need to make sure to catch up on this week's Redboard Rewind. And of course, behind the scenes, we have Drew Coatney making everything run smoothly. I feel like I'm in superb company. Stay with us for next week. The winter might be a tad gloomy, but aside from the holidays, which we're all looking forward to, drawing ever closer, we also have stellar racing action to look forward to. And of course, we are keeping an eye out 
that next Kentucky Derby horse. Catch you here next week.